And so when in light of the age in which we're living, it was never more important that we have a grasp on how to interpret the Bible, which is called Bible hermeneutics, a proper method of interpreting the Bible so that we do so honestly and faithfully. Now, in the passage we read, it talked about study to show thyself approved of God, rightly dividing the word of truth. And the word dividing simply means to discern, to interpret, and to set forth truth in all its balance and in all its parts. And that's the task of Bible ministry. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher. Really appreciate you staying with us right through the program. And I trust that the Lord has had a word for your own heart. Interpreting the Bible, what a challenge and what a, a requirement upon the preacher of the Word. Here's a challenge thrown out by Mr. Spurgeon on the Bible knowing its truth. Go to Christ with prayer yourself. Go to God with repentance yourself and see whether he does not pardon you and bless you and change you and make you a new creature of you. And when he has done that, believe me, you will never again doubt whether the Bible is true. For when it shall have saved you from your fears, rescued you from your sins, and brought you into life and light and liberty, you will be absolutely certain that it is true, because you have tried and tested it yourself. Well, I throw out that challenge to you today as well. Believe the book, obey the book, and trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. The miracle of the new birth is the Spirit of the living Christ, the author of the Bible, the one who gave the book, is the one who was born into the soul of the newborn believer. And so there is no contradiction between the truth of the Spirit and the truth of the Bible. There is the inner witness that this book is true, that it is God's infallible word that you can depend upon. And so every Christian is a man or woman of the book. We are a people who believe in the inspiration of the book of God from Genesis to Revelation. No doubts, no second-guessing. Every page of it, every word of it, is the word of the living God. I exhort you to go to the Bible. Read it every day. It will do you good. So we're back to Second Peter 3 and verse 17, uh, 16, which speaks about uh, those that are unlearned and unstable, how they rest as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. I have a little book in my library. It's by a man called Halley, and it is on the discrepancies in the Bible. And his opening remarks are very helpful because it states the reason why you have to dig in the Bible to get the truth. And God has so ordained in his word in the Bible that the lazy man will not get much. And those who seek the Lord with all their hearts 
and seek his truth with all their hearts, they will be the fat and the flourishing. They will be those who find the gold because they dig for it with all their desires. Now, I want to just give a little bit of a review, and then we'll get to those three major points toward the end, because I have in total seven principles of Bible interpretation. Now, we're dealing with this because Second Peter deals with those who uh, try and advance their cause through false religion, through false teaching, and by resting, twisting, and torturing the Bible to their own ends, for their own schemes. And sometimes it's for money, sometimes it's for lust, sometimes it's for power-mongering, and, of course, in the history of the world, religion has been manipulated in so many ways. We've talked about the cults, the modernists, the liberals, and even the atheists. And in the newspapers just this week, uh, Douglas Todd, in an article, spoke about atheism in the United Church. And there is a lawsuit going on right now of a lady minister who is suing the church because she is an atheist, and they don't want her to minister in the church. Can you imagine appealing to the government to rule on a case where an atheist wants to minister in the church, and the church, well, at least some of them, say there's no place for her, and it's going to cost multiple thousands to try and settle the whole case. And then there's another group of people today that are abusing the Bible and that is those on the gay agenda. And I know this is a very unhappy topic, but in light of Second Peter and the references, the many references to lusts and corruption, uh, we are living to see that today. And there is a brand of church called Metropolitan Churches. And now, don't confuse the Metropolitan Church in London, where a man called uh, Peter Masters is the pastor and a successor of Charles Spurgeon. But around the world, there is a, a kind of an umbrella of churches, and they're called Metropolitan, and they have this, this gay transgender agenda. And you would think that they would never mention the Bible at all, because it would only condemn them. But they come up with their way of interpreting the Bible. They come up with their way of using the terms of the Bible to their own end. And they will talk about liberty, they'll talk about bondage, they'll talk about freedom, and they use all these expressions to give some kind of a sham credence to their own wicked, ungodly agenda. And so, when in light of the age in which we're living, it was never more important that we have a grasp on how to interpret the Bible which is called Bible hermeneutics, a proper method of interpreting the Bible so that we do so honestly and faithfully. Now, in the passage we read, it talked about study to show thyself approved of God, rightly dividing the word of truth. And the word dividing simply means to discern, to interpret, and to set forth truth in all its balance and in all its parts. And that's the task of Bible ministry. That's the task of the church. 
And that's why we have a seminary. That's why we have men who learn Bible languages, who teach our students, and they give them the groundy rules of how to handle the Word of God. Presbyterians have always emphasized the need for education in ministry. You don't want someone in the pulpit that just hasn't a clue. Now, I don't diss uh, lay preachers. I don't diss men who are faithful, men who do and do very well. But if you're going to minister in a church week by week uh, to people, you need to know how to handle the Word. And we have learned already that the Bible text matters. We need confidence that the foundation from which our English Bible is translated is solid. And we have every confidence due to the majority uh, policy, the majority method of Bible textual criticism. The Bible is sound and sure. And I meant to say to you last week and give you the illustration of the Irishman's wall. And he built the wall three feet wide and two feet high. And someone came along and said, well, why did you do that? So wide, so, sh so shallow. And he said, well, I'm just afraid if it falls over, it'll be higher than it is now. And so that's the confidence we have in the Bible, that no matter what they attack, no matter what the enemy to try and topple the Word of God, it, it will stand sure. So the Bible text matters. Words matter. And we are lovers of words. And there are words in the Bible that are just wonderful. They stand out and convey the message of God so clearly. Grammar matters. And I use the illustration of Scrabble. You don't play with the Bible as you would play a Scrabble game. Context matters. You don't just pick little things out and do what you will with it. And I uh, had last week, but I want to give to you now, uh, what happened in John 10:30, where Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Now, the cults will say that just simply means, you know, that they have one agenda, a unity of idea, and so on. But what did the Jews take out of it? They were going to stone the Lord for that commitment. And when you read the verses following and the response that that statement, when Jesus said, I and my Father are one, uh, you can only realize that what he referred to was he was making himself God. And context is very, very important. Consistency matters. This is point number five. So tonight we're going to get to five, six, and seven. And consistency matters. We need to uh, apply the same principles of Bible interpretation, whether we're in the book of Genesis, Psalms, the Gospels, or even in the book of Revelation, which might be a challenge in interpretation. Now, the Bible does not contradict itself. There are many seeming contradictions. There are seeming statements that on the surface and first reading, you would say that's contrary to what uh, is recorded in another location. There are many things in the Bible that are higher than our little minds can comprehend. And we do have to allow God to know more than we ever expect to know. 
because God is infinite and we're finite. And there are going to be things in the Bible that we read and we take a look at and it's just, how can that be? If we were living a thousand years in the days of David before Christ, there were many statements, many promises of God, and the people living then wondered, how can this be? And yet we look back now and we see the fulfillment of God's Word in a wonderful way. And when this world plays out, we will look back and see, ah, that's the clear fulfillment of that passage of God's Word. Now, for consistency, um, there are things that God has not revealed. There are things that God has kept secret in His own counsel. And it's wrong for us to pry into those areas where God has not spoken. In Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong unto us. And so what's in this book is for our learning and for our guidance, and every word of it is to be a lamp to our feet and a lamp to our pathway. Now, to be consistent, we look for what is called the analogy of faith, the same doctrine in every area of the Bible. What God has to say about sin in one part of the Bible, He says about sin in every part of the Bible. In fact, Genesis is called the seedbed of the Bible. And you will have things in those early times of history, early times of revelation in the Bible. Genesis, of course, means beginnings, and you have everything in seed form. But the truth is there, and the truth revealed in Genesis will play out right through the Word of God. For example, the doctrine of man's total depravity. You find it in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, of course, in the fall of Adam. You find it in Genesis chapter 6, uh, in the corruption that was in the world before the fall, when every imagination of man's heart was only evil continually. And that gives us a doctrine of man's corruption from what Isaiah puts it this way in Isaiah chapter 1, from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet, there is no soundness in him. And then when you get to the New Testament, you have the Lord Jesus, and he said, it's not that which enters into the man, but it's that which comes out of the heart. And how the Lord preached a, a message on that whole issue. Man's heart is the corrupt part of his nature. When you get to the epistles in the book of Romans, what did Paul say? That man is an unclean thing, that there is in him no good thing. And just read Romans 3, 10, right through to verse 23, uh, that you'll find that depravity of the human heart. And so, right through the Bible, you can trace the doctrine of man's corruption of heart. And that's a consistent, major doctrine of the Bible. But then also, so is the doctrine of blood atonement. 
And you'll open your Bible in Genesis, and you'll find it in chapter 3, where God covered Adam and Eve with animal skins. And then uh, Cain and Abel, and how Abel brought that lamb as an offering to God. And then it just moves on the altar that Abram built, the sacrifices he gave, even about to offer up Isaac, which didn't take place. But you have the picture of sacrifice, of blood atonement. Then you have the Passover, and you have the whole Levitical priesthood of the Old Testament, which lasted right up to the days of Christ. You have morning sacrifices, evening sacrifices, special occasion sacrifices, blood atonement, Atonement was built right into the psyche of the Jewish people right to the day of Christ. So when John came along preaching the text above our pulpit, Behold the Lamb of God, they understood that Christ now is that sacrifice and that Savior. And of course, on the cross, he offered that ultimate sacrifice. So what you have in the Bible is a consistent thread of teaching in these major doctrines from Genesis to Revelation. I think it was Mr. Spurgeon said that the, the message of redemption in the Bible is like the, the ropes in the British Navy. There's a red thread that runs every inch of the rope. They were doing this because rope was getting stolen. And when you took Navy rope, well, they just cut a bit off it. If they saw the red thread, that belonged to the British Navy. And wherever you come in the Bible, you will find the message, the doctrine of blood atonement. Now, this truth of the analogy of faith, this consistency within the Bible, this was, I'm not going to say was the very first, but is the most famous for systematizing the doctrines of the Bible was the work of John Calvin in Geneva in the Reformation period. He has been called the father exegete of the Bible. And to this day, uh, he is quoted copiously. He's referred to. And if there's a difficult passage in the Bible, he's the one to consult because he is the uh, expert exegete of the Bible. When he was 26 years old, he wrote a treatise, and it was to convince the King of France of the Protestant religion. Now, the King of France was Roman Catholic, but he was appealing, John Calvin was appealing, that uh, there should be liberty for the Christian gospel and the Reformed faith and he just laid it all out in a work he called The Institutes of the Christian Religion when he was 26 years old. Now, for the next 20 years or so, he built on that. He fleshed out those areas, and there is now this tomb of the Institutes of Religion that has set out in its various parts the unity of the Bible, the system of doctrine, and the way to interpret. And so we owe a lot to this, our consistency of Bible interpretation, to the teachings of John Calvin and the Reformed faith, which includes the Westminster Confession of Faith, Heidelberg Catechism, a Synod of Dort, and various other 
uh, doctrinal statements that have come as helps to the church, and we are very thankful for them. Now, the next thing, this is number six, covenants matter. When we are interpreting the Bible, we need to understand God's way of dealing with men by covenant. Covenant. Now, if you read chapter 7 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, you will see that, and I'm summarizing here now just out of my head, that such is the darkness and the depravity of man's heart that man will never find God. And so for God to be gracious to redeem men, he had to condescend and make a covenant with man, and that is God's grace. Now, in the history of the world, God has dealt with the human race, dealt with his people by two covenants. The first with Adam. Adam, being the first man, was the representative man of the human race. The covenant that God made with Adam, he made with all that would come out of his loins. And if Adam had kept his agreement to not eat the forbidden fruit, if he had not sinned in the Garden of Eden, there would have been perfect life for all the offspring of Adam. But as we know, Adam broke the covenant of works, and it was a covenant of works. Do or die, do and live. And so that was a covenant of works. It was based upon performance. And Adam broke the covenant, plunged the world into sin and depravity, and God instantly, immediately, without hesitation, instituted the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace. And where's the first light of that? Well, let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. <clears throat> Here, in the very day when Adam sinned, and God cursed the ground and cursed the world and all its iniquity, in the very day that Adam sinned, broke the covenant of works, God introduced a covenant of grace. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now there is Calvary. You can write Calvary in Genesis 3, verse 15. There is the first gospel promise in the Bible. And so we need to learn that the gospel doesn't start at Matthew. The church doesn't start at Pentecost. The church began in the Garden of Eden. The gospel began the day that Adam sinned. And it's the same gospel that applied to Adam, to Abel, to Noah, to Moses, the prophets, the Old Testament saints, and which Christ preached on earth when he was here, and when the apostles began their ministry, it was the same gospel 
God dealing with men by a covenant of mercy. to let the Bible speak. This is Ian Gallagher. Really appreciate you staying with us right through the program, and I trust that the Lord has had a word for your own heart. Interpreting the Bible, what a challenge and what a a requirement upon the preacher of the Word. Here's a challenge thrown out by Mr. Spurgeon on the Bible knowing its truth. Go to Christ with prayer yourself. Go to God with repentance yourself and see whether he does not pardon you and bless you and change you and make you a new creature of you. And when he has done that, believe me, you will never again doubt whether the Bible is true. For when it shall have saved you from your fears, rescued you from your sins, and brought you into life and light and liberty, you will be absolutely certain that it is true, because you have tried and tested it yourself. Well, I throw out that challenge to you today as well. Believe the book, obey the book, and trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. The miracle of the new birth is the Spirit of the living Christ, the author of the Bible, the one who gave the book, is the one who was born into the soul of the newborn believer. And so there is no contradiction between the truth of the Spirit and the truth of the Bible. There is the inner witness that this book is true, that it is God's infallible word that you can depend upon. And so every Christian is a man or woman of the book. We are a people who believe in the inspiration of the book of God from Genesis to Revelation. No doubts, no second-guessing. Every page of it, every word of it, is the word of the living God. I exhort you to go to the Bible. Read it every day. It will do you good. And now stay tuned for these closing announcements. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to 
www.ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music